Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. The sermon today is based on Revelation chapter 5, but for the sake of time, I will only read the verses 1 through 5. Let us hear the word of God. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, throughout the ages and still today, there have been people who are worthy of recognition and respect. They include famous political leaders, artists, composers, writers, intellectuals, and scientists. All of these people deserve recognition and respect because of the things that they accomplished in their lifetime. We can say that they changed the world. And in some cases, the effects of their accomplishments are still felt even today. But there is one who is more worthy than all of these people put together. He is worthy not merely of some recognition and respect. He is worthy of all praise and adoration and worship by every creature in heaven and on earth. And that's because he did something that no mere mortal could ever do. He defeated sin and death and Satan and secured for his people the right to everlasting life. And I'm speaking, of course, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With the help of the Lord, we want to look at the verses in Revelation chapter 5 under this theme, the worthiness of the Lamb. And we'll see that he is, first of all, worthy to take the sealed scroll. And secondly, he is worthy to receive universal worship. The Apostle John is still in the throne room of heaven. And that's described for us in the previous chapter in Revelation chapter 4. And as he stood there, his eyes were drawn to a scroll. Now, this scroll, however, was unlike any other scroll that John had ever seen in his life. First of all, it contained writing on both sides. Now, that in itself is unusual. Most scrolls contained writing only on one side, but not this scroll. This scroll was written on both sides, both front and back. The whole scroll was covered with writing, and that means that the scroll was complete. Nothing could be added to it, Nothing could be taken away from it. Secondly, this scroll was sealed with seven seals. 
Now, in ancient times, official documents were usually sealed with only one seal. The document would be rolled up, and the official who wrote the document would then take some wax and pour it on the outer edge of the scroll. And while the wax was still warm, he would press a piece of metal into the wax, which was inscribed with special markings. And that way, the person who received the scroll would know that no one had opened it, that, it, that its contents had remained secret and also untouched. But this document that John sees was sealed with not one scroll, but seven seals. And that indicates that the document was very important, and its contents were very secret. Only someone with the proper authority could open the scroll, read it, and carry out its directives. Thirdly, this scroll was in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, as we saw last week, this was a reference to God the Father. And the fact that he held it in his right hand indicates that whatever was written on the scroll was written by God himself. And therefore, he and he alone had the authority to give it to whomever he pleased. Well, what is this scroll? What does it represent? Well, this scroll represents the plans and purposes of God for mankind from the, from the ascension of Jesus Christ to his second coming. And we know that because in the following chapter, chapter 6, we have a description of what happens when each of the seven seals of this scroll have been broken. And we read that after each seal is broken, a certain judgment is unleashed on the earth, and all of these judgments eventually lead up to the final judgment and to the second coming of Christ. But in order for this plan to be fulfilled, the scroll must be opened. And the question is, who could do this? Certainly not just anyone. Only one who was worthy could open the scroll. And so as John looked at the scroll, he saw a strong angel. Perhaps it was the archangel Michael or Gabriel. And the angel proclaimed with a loud voice so that every creature could hear, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now this is not so much as a cry as a challenge. It was as though the angel was daring any creature, whether it be man or angel, to declare himself worthy to open the scroll. Well, as it turned out, no one did. And we read in verse 3, No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. No man, no woman, no matter how holy, how important, how powerful, how influential, no king, no emperor, no minister, no theologian, no prophet, no apostle, no angel, alive or dead, no one was able to loosen the seals of this scroll or even to look upon it. Why not? Because no one, and I mean absolutely no one, was worthy. No man, not even a godly man, is worthy because all men have sinned in Adam. And what is more to our original sin, we daily add our actual sin, and as such, no man can open the scroll. Nor can any angel open the scroll. For although the good angels did not fall, they are mere creatures, and no mere creature can open 
this scroll. Realizing this, we read in, in our text chapter that John began to weep. He says in verse 4, So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now the Greek word for weeping here is the same word that's used to describe Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and Peter weeping bitterly after denying the Lord Jesus for the third time. It's a word that expresses strong, unrestrained emotion. So John just didn't simply shed a few tears. He wept deeply and uncontrollably. Why? Partly because no one was found worthy. And how sad that among the billions of men and women who have ever lived, not a single one was found worthy to open the scroll. Even though man was created in the image of God with perfect knowledge and righteousness and holiness, yet no one was found worthy. Now that made John weep. But there's another reason why John wept, because he understood what was at stake. John knew that if the scroll remained unopened, then God's plans and purposes for mankind would not be realized. God's plans and purposes would come to a screeching halt. The wicked would not be punished. God's people would not be saved. Satan would not be defeated. And Christ would not return in glory. There would be no new heaven and no new earth. And man would be without hope consigned to spend an everlasting eternity in hell. As one commentator put it, and I quote, the opening of the scroll by breaking the seals indicates the execution of God's plan. When the scroll is opened and the seals are broken, then the universe is governed in the interest of the church. Then God's glorious redemptive purpose is being realized. His plan is being carried out. And the contents of the scroll come to pass in the history of the universe. But if the scroll is not opened, it means that there will be no protection for God's children in the hours of bitter trial. No judgments upon a persecuting world. No ultimate triumph for believers. No new heaven and earth. No future inheritance. End quote. And John knew this. He understood what was at stake. And this is why he wept. Fortunately, however, his weeping did not last long. For as John stood there weeping, he was approached by one of the elders. And he said to him, verse 5, do not weep. What comforting words. But how could the elder say this? How could he just ask John to stop weeping? What reason was there to stop weeping? He tells us, he says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. The elder here speaks of a lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Who is this person? Well, it's none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you notice how he's described here as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The reference here is to Genesis 49, verses 9 and 10. There Jacob predicted that a future ruler would come from Judah's line. And this ruler would be, he said, like a lion, strong and fierce, and therefore able to triumph over all of his enemies. And that lion, of course, was ultimately the Lord Jesus. He's also described here as the root of David. 
The reference here is to Isaiah 6, verse 13, and, and Isaiah 11, verse 1. In both of these passages, God confirmed his promise to David that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would come from his line. But you'll notice, Jesus would not merely be a descendant of David, then he would just be a branch. Instead, John says, he was his root. And Isaiah says the same. That means he would be his superior. Christ would take primacy over David because he would come before David. And so we have here an infallible proof for the divinity of Jesus Christ. Although Christ was born hundreds of years after David, he was still his root. Why? Because as the second person of the Holy Trinity, he existed from all eternity. And the elder understood this. And this is why he calls him what he does, what he does David's root. Well, just then, John saw the one of whom the elders spoke. And we read of that in verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So John here sees not a lion, as we might have expected, but a lamb. Now, why a lamb? Well, because in the Old Testament, a lamb was often used as a sacrifice to God. And as such, it was an appropriate representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because like this lamb, he too was slain on the cross of Calvary. And there he poured out his soul unto death in order to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. And so he was a lamb. But this was no ordinary lamb. For John says he was standing in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. And that suggests that he held a very prominent position in the heavenly throne room of God. He also had seven horns and seven eyes. The number seven is a number of fullness. Horns are a symbol of power and strength. Eyes are a symbol of knowledge and understanding. And the seven spirits, as John himself indicates, is a reference to the Holy Spirit. He is said to be sent out into all the earth because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes out into the world to, to seek to convince man of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit proceeds from this Lamb endowing him with perfect strength, power, and knowledge. He also appears as slain, and yet, John says, he stood. And that reminds us that although the Lord Jesus Christ died, three days later he rose again, and even now he lives forever at the right hand of God. And this is what John sees. And then he sees something else. Something amazing, something so comforting. We read in verse 7 that this lamb came forward and he took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Oh, at last someone was found worthy to take the scroll and loosen its seals. It was the lamb that was slain. In fact, this is precisely why he was found worthy. Because he and he alone was slain. And his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. 
And because he laid down his life for his people, his people can and will be redeemed. Satan will be vanquished. His kingdom will advance. And all of God's plans and purposes will be fulfilled. And so here we have the ultimate reason why Christ came to this earth. Jesus did not come to this earth only to save his people from their sins. He came in order to fulfill God's plans and purposes for mankind to the glory of his name. He came in order to propel history forward to the final consummation when he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now I submit to you what a comfort this is. Child of God, today you may weep because no one is worthy to loosen the seals, but what we cannot do, Christ has done. He has opened the seals. He has set in motion God's plan of redemption. And as a result of this action, there is hope for sinners like you and like me. The devil will not have the final victory. Christ will overcome. God's purposes will be accomplished. His people will be saved. And therefore to him belongs all the glory and the honor. In fact, that was precisely the response that the Lamb received in heaven. And that brings us to our second point. The Apostle John had just witnessed an amazing event. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the form of a Lamb that was slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, suddenly appeared and took the scroll that was in the hand of him that sat on the throne. And as he took that scroll in his hand, at that very moment, heaven and earth erupted in thunderous worship. Notice a few things about this worship. Notice, first of all, the object of this worship. Who is the object of this worship? The answer, it is the lamb that was slain. Why the lamb? Because he was slain. And as such, he alone was worthy to take the scroll. And he alone was worthy of the worship of heaven and of earth. Notice, secondly, the worshipers. There are three groups of worshipers mentioned here. The first group are the four beasts and the 24 elders. The four beasts, or better creatures, are probably cherubim. And they're introduced to us for the first time in chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. The 24 elders represent the church in the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, the church was represented by the 12 patriarchs. In the New Testament, it's represented by the 12 apostles. And each of these elders had a harp in one hand and a golden vial full of odors in the other. The original Greek suggests that only the elders had these items in their hands, not the four beasts. Now, the harp is frequently associated in the Old Testament with worship, and that's the case here as well. Each of these 24 elders is holding in their hands a harp, symbolizing the fact that they are forever praising and worshiping the Lamb. The golden vial full of odors reminds us of the lamps that were used to burn incense in the tabernacle and later in the temple in Jerusalem. And these odors, we are told, are a picture of the prayers of the saints. So with their harps and their golden vials, the elders, together with the four beasts, fall down before the Lamb, and the elders sing a new song. You notice the content of this song. First of all, they acknowledge that the Lamb alone was worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because he was slain. 
And that's a reference, of course, to his death on the cross. For the lamb to open the book meant offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He offered himself willingly, voluntarily, as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. He was slain as a lamb that is slain on the altar. Secondly, they praise him for the benefits of his death. We read here, For you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The word redeemed here reminds us of the slave market. In ancient times, someone who was very wealthy would sometimes pay a certain sum of money, usually a very large sum of money, to redeem a slave. Once redeemed, the slave could go free, and that's the picture here. By offering himself as a sacrifice for sin, Christ redeemed his people from the penalty of sin, allowing them to go free. And you notice who he redeemed. John says, men out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And so we're reminded here that Christ did not die for the Jews only, but for Jew and Gentile. The church of Christ is universal in its scope. Christ died, he shed his blood for people of every nation under heaven. He didn't die for every single person from every nation under heaven. He died only for his elect. But he died for his elect from all over the world. And what's the effect of this redemption? Well, the elders tell us he made us kings and priests. A king is someone who rules. A priest is someone who serves God and lives in his presence. And that's what Christ accomplished by means of his redemption. He made it possible for his people to become kings and priests unto God. Moreover, they say, they will function as kings and priests on the earth. So here we learn they will not spend an eternity floating around on the clouds someplace. No, they will live here on a recreated and perfect world. Now the second group of worshipers mentioned here are the angels. And there were many of them. John says there were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And you notice what they say, verse 12. They say with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So like the elders, the angels worship the Lamb for being found worthy to take the book and to loosen its seals. There's something striking about that. Because these angels are not affected by God's plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption concerns men, not angels. And yet the angels rejoice that Christ was found worthy to put this plan into effect. They even say that this makes him worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Why? Why do the angels add their voices to those of the four and twenty elders? Well, it's because although they are not directly involved, the angels take a keen interest in the salvation of God's elect. In fact, they shout for joy, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents. In 1 Peter 1, verse 12, Peter says that the angels desire to look into, meaning they desire to investigate, to learn more about the things which the Holy Spirit has revealed concerning the salvation of sinners. The angels are vitally concerned about the salvation of sinners. And for that reason, 
They add their voices to those of the four and twenty elders in offering praise and worship to the Lamb. And then there's a third group of worshipers. John describes them in verse 13 as every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all such that are in them. And that includes every living thing, man, bird, beast, fish, and even insects. Together they say blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Their song is very similar to that of the angels, only they direct it not only to the Lamb, but also to him who sits on the throne, reinforcing the fact that the Lamb is worthy of the same honor as God himself. Now how animals and insects and fish and birds can verbalize this, we don't know. The point is that all of creation in their own way joins in worshiping and praising and adoring the Lamb. Striking, isn't it? Ever since the fall, creation has been groaning under the curse, looking forward to the consummation of all things. But now that time has arrived. And so every living thing breaks out in praise and adoration to Christ. Following all of this, the four beasts reply with a grand and glorious Amen, which means so be it, let it be, after which the 24 elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. My friends, what a breathtaking scene. Who can possibly imagine what it was like to witness these things? It's beyond our comprehension. Nor can we possibly explain everything that is recorded here. But the point is that all of creation The four beasts, the 24 elders, the angels, and every living creature joins together in worshiping the Lamb of God. And the worship that they offer is not the sentimental, feel-good drivel of a contemporary praise team. Their worship is grand and glorious and reverent and exalted and heartfelt and spontaneous. It is the worship of heaven itself. Oh, is that also your response to the work of Christ? If so, then that should manifest itself in your worship. When you truly understand something of the wonder of our salvation, then we worship God. Not just going through the motions, content only with some outward forms and rituals, but we worship God with our whole heart. Yes, dear friends, our worship will mirror the worship of heaven. Oh, is that true for your worship today? We've been given so much. Should that not reflect itself in how we worship God? Christ was found worthy to take the scroll and to loosen its seven seals. What each seal represents, we hope to see next time. But for now, understand this, that he and he alone is worthy. He deserves all praise and adoration, both now and forever. My friend, is that reflected in your life? Amen. 
Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and the postal code is V4X2M9. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. And in this booklet, Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.